you take your Bible or one from the pew in front of you and put your fingers just about in the middle of it and flop it open, you will probably be very close to our text. And then shuffle about in your pages and find Psalm 119. And once you've found the longest chapter in the Bible, look about until you find verse 18. Psalm 119, verse 18, the same text as we looked at last Sunday, we will look at again now. It's a prayer and it goes like this. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And I just want to say, Jesus, we mean that. When I read that, I mean it to you. I ask that now, as we undertake an exposition of part of this verse, you will open our eyes to see wonderful things, glory, beauty, excellence, superior desirability to everything in the world, in the Word. I know that there are people in this room right now who don't see that. Their desire structure and their heart is such that they cannot make them enjoy the Bible. So I'm asking for a miracle for those people, as you have performed for hundreds of us. That their heart would be so changed that the hardness would be made soft. The deadness would be made alive. The blindness would be made sight. And that suddenly, before this service is over, they might shout, I see the glory of God. And I ask it in Jesus' name and because he, he paid for these kinds of gifts. He paid it all. Amen. If you were here, you remember, I hope, these three points from that message last Sunday on this verse. One, there are wonderful things in the Word. Two, you can't see them without supernatural enabling. And three, therefore we should pray for that supernatural eye-opening enabling. Open my eyes. I want to see them. They're there. But I can't see them if left to myself. The verse last Sunday that described our condition apart from God's help is Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. It goes like this. <clears throat> the Gentiles live in the futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, owing to the hardness of their heart. Five hammer blows against my ego, my self-sufficiency saying, well, show it to me. I'll see it like a blind person saying, show me the sun. I'll see it. We cannot see the excellence and beauty and the glory of God as blind, dead, hard, unspiritual, rebellious human beings. That's who we all are apart from supernatural 
intrusions into our lives, awakening us from the dead, bringing sight to the blind, bringing softness to hard hearts. It's our only hope. And therefore, last Sunday's message was about prayer. Oh, God, I am desperate. If you don't do something to me, I'm just going to be a, a gamesman with the Bible. I'm going to play word games with the Bible. I won't see glory. I won't feel wonder. I won't have any passion. I won't have any zeal. I won't have any love. I won't be endeared to you. I'll just be a dutiful gamesman. Religious gamesman going through motions. What mommy told me to do. And I'm so scared about that being true of me that I pray this prayer. Over and over as I come to the Bible. Now, today's point is not about prayer. Today goes to the other end of the verse, to the word end of the verse. And before I give you the main point of this message, which is a really simple point, really obvious point, and a mind-boggling simplicity point, I want to say why it's important. What we're talking about last week and this week is important because... The way the Bible presents for us to be changed is not by presenting us with a book of rules, which we then memorize and by our free willpower, obey. And there you have a Christian. Here's the Ten Commandments and... Okay, I'll do that one. Okay, I'll do that one. And I'll do that one. And now my life is cleaned up and that's okay. In fact, I'm better than 95% of the people in the world, maybe 98% of the people in the world. I've got my act together morally and I've done the book. If you grew up in a church where that was the model for life transformation to the glory of God, you're in a different paradigm here. Because what I believe and we believe as a church is that lives are changed to the glory of God along the lines of 2 Corinthians 3.18, which says, and this is from which the third verse of Shine, Jesus, Shine is paraphrased. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, that paradigm of change is profoundly different from the rule-oriented, memorize it and do it. They almost have nothing in common, except that I believe in Bible memory. But I hope you'll see how it all fits together. It says in... 3 John verse 11, those who go on sinning have not seen God, which means that the power in the paradigm or the dynamic of 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being changed from one degree of glory as we behold the glory. The power in that paradigm is so certain 
that if you are not changed, you haven't seen the glory. That's what 3 John 3.11 says. Behold what manner of love the Father has shown to us that we should be called the children of God. And such we are. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when he appears, we know that we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We will be like him because we will see him. In other words, the revelation of the glory of God will be so supercharged with infinite, powerful energy. There will be no long sequential reasoning out of, oh my, if Jesus is like that, then I better stop doing that. And so I better stop doing that. And I will now become more like that. In an instant, you will be totally changed by the sight of Jesus Christ. Now, that end time reality, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, is happening in degrees now. Now, that's really comforting to me. If I had to be an all or nothing person, if I thought that the only successful upshot of this message was all of you people walking out transformed totally into the image of Jesus, I would absolutely despair for myself and for you. But isn't it encouraging that the verse says, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being being changed from one degree of glory to the next. So I feel like every message that I preach is an installment on the revelation of the glory of God through his word, by which if God is pleased, you will see it and another degree of glory will be experienced as your life from one degree of glory is transformed. Now, that's a paradigm of life change that's not legalistic. And it's very different from the rule orientation of here's the things you're supposed to do as a Christian. Here's my willpower and here's my effort. And there you are, God, be honored. Very different. We are desperately dependent upon seeing glory, which is why I'm still on the why this is important point, which is why both seeing and the word objective are important because we see God here. The glory is revealed here. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of thy law. Torah, instruction, teaching, word. You take Psalm 119. If you didn't do it last Sunday, maybe this afternoon. Read through it. Read through it over and over. Look for different things. The first time through, look for all the prayers. The second time through, look for the dozens and dozens of words used to refer to the word of God. So don't stumble over the word law here. That is just uh, the best English we can do for Torah, which is teaching. That's why it's important. We will not be changed into likeness to Jesus for the glory of God unless we learn how to see the glory in the word and be changed by seeing and loving the glory. All right. Now, what's the main point today? 
taken from this verse. And here it is. The main point is this. God shows the beauty and excellence of Christ or himself. That's the wonderful things. God shows himself, his beauty, his glory, his excellence only to those who are looking in the word. That's the end of the sentence. Told you it was simple. God shows his glory and beauty only to those who are looking in the word. In other words, he only answers the prayer. Open my eyes that I may behold glory to those who are looking in the word. That's the main point this morning. Which is why reading the Bible and memorizing the Bible is important. Let me, let me put a sharper point on it here. Suppose you heard last week's message that we must pray in order to see the glory of God because we can't see it in our native, fallen, hard, dead, blind condition. And you concluded from that message... Oh, well, I suppose I should set myself to praying, not studying. Studying is, is a work of my mind and my flesh. Reading is a work of my eyes and my intellect. So, Pastor drove it home, left to ourselves, we can do nothing to see, and so... I pray and I just put my mind in neutral and expect that while the wheels are whirring away with no directed thought toward word or God, something is going to happen. Now, that would be a great mistake from last Sunday. And that advice comes from Eastern mysticism, not biblical meditation. To pray that God would reveal his glory and then to put your mind in neutral is not good advice. Suppose you wanted to uh, see the glory of the Grand Canyon. See the glory of the Grand Canyon. And you are blind, physically blind. And you prayed. And called upon the Lord and came and prayed to him. And he told you, I will show you the glory of the Grand Canyon. Trust me. I'm going to open your eyes. Would it make sense to move from Arizona to Florida? Wouldn't. It wouldn't make sense. So one way to put this point is this. If you insist on living by the Everglades, you will never see the glory of the Grand Canyon. I don't care how often you pray. The main point is God has ordained that the 
heart opening work of the Holy Spirit always be combined with the mind informing work of his word. Do you get that? I'll see it again. God has ordained that the eye opening, heart opening work of his spirit always be combined with, never be separated from the mind informing work of his word. Boil it down. The spirit's work and the word's work can never be separated. If you try, you will either become an intellectualistic academic or pedantic Wooden, legalistic, Bible thumper over here. Or you'll become an emotional mystic with your roots not planted in any solid ground. Just kind of blowing around over here with some funny spirituality. Fit right into the new age and off you go. God has ordained... That his eye-opening work by his spirit always be combined with his mind-informing work of the spirit of the word. Let me give a little application here. It would be a great mistake, therefore, to draw from last week that what we really need when we pray, open my eyes, is new information. Over against the Bible. You don't need any new information. You need eyes to see the information. We have 1,000 times more information about God and Christ in the Bible than we could ever fully understand or see or enjoy. And our tremendous need, all of us, is to see it. We need our eyes open, our spirits sensitized, our life given, our deadness removed, our hardness taken away, so that when we read a phrase or a word, it just explodes with the glory that is really there. Not brought there from anywhere else. It's there. You all know this because you've all had ups and downs in your Bible reading. Sometimes the word Jesus has set you just to singing. And other times you can say Jesus and nothing happens. And that other time is not because Jesus got filled up with something that isn't in the Bible. It said you had eyes, you had spiritual eyes. There was a quickening and an awakening and an apprehension of glory that's really there. That's what we need. Let me get a finer point on this one. Because there are so many people in America today who are carried away with the desire for more information from the Holy Spirit while paying scant attention to the glory of the Word written. Suppose, for example, you knew a married young woman who was infertile and could not have any children. And God told you by the Spirit that she was going to get pregnant. Have a baby. And so you go to her and you tell her that you're 
persuaded that she's going to get pregnant. And in a year, she gets pregnant. And in nine months, she has a healthy baby. And you both are jumping up and down with the excitement of prophecy and pregnancy and birth. Are you spiritually better off? Not necessarily. And the reason is because spirituality, conformity to Christ, from one degree of glory to the next, being shaped into the image of Jesus, is something that comes from beholding the man, Christ Jesus, born, living, crucified, risen, reigning, that historical, concrete, particular God-man, seen, loved, cherished, and treasured, and conformed to, is what makes spirituality. Excitement about miracles is a holy, natural phenomenon. The devils have it. Unregenerate people have it. And therefore, we must simply get our excitement quotient properly oriented. And the orientation must be on the place where the concrete, particular, glorious God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, stands forth in his inspired portrayal for our heart's eyes to behold and be changed by and to love. And that's the Bible. We have not yet begun to see. We have not yet begun to see what could be seen if our eyes were opened. It's not new information we need. Don't need new information. We need the Spirit to open our eyes to see. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see. Now let me give you some Concluding implications. Here's one. Um, When you pray, this is an exhortation now. When you pray for God to open your eyes, don't shift your mind into neutral. Don't look away from the Word of God. Don't stop thinking about the Bible. You know, I was sitting here as we were singing thinking about that point that I made in the first service and how I would make it again here. And it occurred to me that the the human mind is, is an absolute mystery. It's an absolute mystery. Can any of you possibly explain, having lived for me 52 years um, and stocked up thousands and thousands of experiences in my mind, which are all there, scientists tell me, and I, I believe that. They're all there in some kind of chemical, electronic circuitry. And, and hundreds of Bible verses are there. How does it work 
that one thing comes to mind and not another thing. I mean, when you pray, I'm, 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 I didn't have any notes here to pray for Shar. I didn't have any plans. I've just done this so often, I can do this. I can pray for people. But I'm not just doing it. I'm whispering to my mind, Lord, what does she need? What do these people need to hear? And I'm just waiting. But my waiting is not a neutrality of brain. But I don't have any idea how this brain works to get what I said into my head. Why did I say what I said? Can anybody explain that? Why did one thing come to my mind and then another thing come to my mind and then another thing come to my mind? I have no explanation for that. I mean, you can talk in generalities. All you had to work with was what's in your brain. Huh, believe me, I had 10,000 more things in my brain that I could have said that I didn't say. And so do you. So how did it happen? I don't know how it happened. What I'm saying here is, um, your mind is meant to be filled with good things that they might be at the disposal of the Holy Spirit to quicken, to enlighten, to illumine, to apply and to use. And how he does that, I do not know, nor does anyone else, I think. But it happens and it's a wonder. But don't put your mind into neutral. I use search and find on my computer all the time when I'm editing. I say, I, I use the word contemplation in the sermon somewhere. So I hit Alt F and type in contemplation, hit enter. There it is. That's the way the brain works. You say, oh, Lord, help me to pray. For sure, things that would be suitable for Guinea. And all of a sudden the scanner goes around this hard disk in your brain. And the Holy Spirit exerting his ways. And things are flashing on the screen to say. Out of all that hard data that's there. Don't have a clue how that works. That's an awesome mystery. That the Holy Spirit does that. So, this point is... Don't do like Eastern mystics and try to get your brain empty. Hit fine. And make sure the document on the screen is Bible. Now, here are five concluding exhortations. Very simple ones. If all of what I've said today is true, number one, therefore we should... Pray and read. Pray and read. Ephesians 3, 3 and 4. By revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote beforehand in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery. Isn't that amazing that Paul would say to us, when you read, when you read, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery. Now, he said back in chapter one, I bow my knees before the father that you might grant them a spirit of wisdom and a revelation and that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened to know. So he prayed. But now he's saying you get it from reading. But do you get it from praying or do you get it from reading? And the answer is yes. You get it from reading and you get it from praying. 
But I think you should be amazed that God, almighty maker of heaven and earth and redeemer, has ordained that he and his son and his way of salvation and all of his wisdom for life be revealed to us in a book. And thus transmitted through reading. You talk about the importance of education and children. Every night at about 7.15, Talitha, age two, and two months, three months, sits in my lap, and we do the alphabet. She will know the alphabet in one month at age two. She'll be able to read, I predict, by the end of age three. Not because she's smart or because we are smart, but because of habits. If I sit at a computer, this has happened with every one of my kids, five kids. If I'm sitting at a computer working at seven o'clock at night and mommy says to them downstairs, it's time to go to bed. They say, daddy, daddy, pewter, right. Tell says, right, right. Meaning I don't have to go to bed for another ten minutes. That's all it means. I don't have to go to bed for another ten minutes. You have an absolutely captive audience. She will do anything I want her to do because she doesn't want to go to bed. And therefore, I, I capitalize on that absolute captivity and teach her to read. Why? So she'll go to university someday and become a pagan? No. So she'll read and understand the mystery of why she's made Christ in you, the hope of glory, and then go to university and convert things. Point number two, pray and study. Second Timothy 2.15, be diligent or like the King James says, study to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, accurately handling the word of truth. So don't just read it any old way. This is God's holy word. You can't just go in here and tromp all over it and make it mean anything you want it to mean. It has a meaning, a determinate, historical, grammatical intention from its authors. And our job is to humble ourselves under this word. You, maybe you'll remember this picture right here. <laughs> humble yourself under the word. Don't stick your face on the word saying... This is what it means, because I feel that if it meant the opposite, I would be hurt or somebody else would be. There are meanings that are absolutely changeless. You cannot change meaning once it is imparted to a text. New hermeneutic and everything else notwithstanding. An author has an idea. He imparts it to writing. We may not know what it is, but it was there. And our job is to get back to it and find it and to submit ourselves to it, and that takes study. Oh, may we not be forced at Bethlehem into this dichotomy between praying and being spiritual and being heart people and being emotional people on one side and studying and being intellectual people and being readers and being thinkers on the other side. We will not choose that. We will not be forced into that. Good old B.B. Warfield, 1911, said it so well. I love this quote. 
Sometimes we hear said that 10 minutes on your knees will give you a truer, deeper, more operative knowledge of God than 10 hours over your books. To which he responds, what is the appropriate response? Then 10 hours over your books on your knees. That's exactly right. We will not choose between prayer and the word prayer. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your word, not out there in the mysticism somewhere. Exhortation number three. The first was pray and read. The second was pray and study. The third is pray and ransack. Pray and ransack. Where does that come from? I'll read it to you. This is Proverbs 2, 1, 6. My son. Now, see if you hear ransacking this. My son, he says, if you will receive my words. Treasure my commandments with you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek for her as silver, if you search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So I hear receiving, treasuring, being attentive, inclining your ear, crying out, lifting the voice, seeking as for silver, searching as for gold. I call that ransacking. Here's the picture I have in my mind. If somebody gave you a Bible and they had interleaved in it some very old, thin leaves of pure 24 karat gold. Is that good gold? Good gold, 24 karat? I don't know about gold. And they put it in there and, and they said there are enough leaves in there to be worth about $8,000. And if you find them, you can have them. You can have it. What would you do? You would ransack this Bible. Do you carefully pull out that leaf? Does every minute is passing? They gave you a time limit. I forgot to tell you that. They gave you a time limit. You know what? Did you mean that song? More precious than silver. More costly than gold. More beautiful than diamonds is Jesus. And his glory, his glory is here. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things that are 10 million times more valuable than gold. So act like it. Don't do that. Do this. How many people... Get up in the morning, go to bed at night, lazily listen, my beloved, behold, he's coming, climbing on mountains, sleeping on the hills. Huh. I didn't get it. and go to bed. <laughs> it's like um, a miser who leaves Louisiana and heads for California in 1840s, gets himself a pan, goes up in the mountain, pans for gold. First plate, he looks up, looks through, nothing. He says, phooey, and heads back for Louisiana. One plate. If you believe there's gold here, 
More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. And by keeping them, thy servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. If you believe that, you'll ransack. You just won't settle. If you don't get anything from your appointed Bible reading, you'll ransack it until you get something because you know it's there. That's point number three. Number four, quickly. Pray and think. So pray and read, pray and study, pray and ransack, pray and think. Here's the verse. 2 Timothy 2.7 Think over what I say, Timothy, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. God has ordained that spiritual illumination come to the reading of the Bible when you think about what you're reading. God has ordained that spiritual illumination and that a sight of glory that evidences itself as divine and true and valuable and desirable will come to you through the vehicle of thinking. Thinking. Thinking about the verse. And not presumptuously reading it one, two, three times, closing it and saying, I didn't get it. And not thinking, expending no energy to ponder, to think, to take it a word at a time. Ask how the words relate. Ask how the phrases relate. Ask how the clauses relate. Ask how that word used three verses earlier is different from the way it's used there and why it's used down here. And begin to ask questions. Meditation is simply a series of question answering. And God will bless that. I, this morning I read three chapters in Genesis before I started getting ready for the message over Jacob and Esau's, uh, Jacob's ripoff of Esau's blessing. And I got to the end and I was so tired. I said, Lord, what is that all about? And it didn't, it wasn't clicking at all. And I, I, I was in, I needed to get down to sermon preparation, but I, I said, Lord, I, I'll take two or three minutes here if you'll just help me get some meaning here. What's the point of this story? It's, it looks awful. This Jacob guy is a rat. And he's the father of the faithful. And so I thought... I, I, I didn't put my mind in neutral saying, bring something to my mind. I, I thought about all that I had been reading. I set the hard disk to worrying and I said, find something. <laughs> and I don't know how the brain works, but to my mind came from previous days reading. They are two nations wrestling in the womb and the elder will serve the younger. Now, that was said decades before this event of Jacob's furry lie to his father, when, in fact, he became the one who would rule the younger, rule the older. And the one thing I took away because of three minutes of thought is this is all happening, ugly though it is, in fulfillment of that promise, the elder will serve the younger. God said that to, to uh, Sarah. Did this right? Anyway, God said. 
The elder will serve the younger, Rachel. Yeah. Last point, and I'm done. Pray and speak to one another the word of God. So as it comes to you and lands on you and works in you and you behold it, speak it to others. Pray and read, pray and study, pray and ransack. Pray and, what was that last one? Think and pray and speak. Let's pray together. As we close, would you ask yourself this series of questions just for what you're going to take away right now? One, is God calling you to take up the fighter verse challenge and memorize again? If so, Go to the construction site. Get the packet. Second, is God calling you to read through the Bible maybe this year? The whole Bible. If so, go to that table on the other side and get the guide. Third question. Is God calling you to pray for me and the worshipers during a service? I mention this because Rick and Delaine Gamash have put their heads and hearts together to dream this vision about having people praying during each service, like in this little room behind me here, that God's word would come with power. And there's a sign-up place for that on the prayer table out in the ministry hall. Maybe you and a friend would want to commit to a service to pray that God would, would come in power and open the eyes of people to hear and see. Fourth, You want to read a book on prayer. It's God calling you to stir yourself up to read something so that you don't get weary. Fifth, dads in particular. Do you want to do something new with the family this year? Do you want to see to it that your kids learn to read? Read to them. Do you want to see that they memorize the scriptures? Say the Bible verse with them at mealtimes, devotion time. Make a commitment, dads, right now to do something fresh and new for your kids in the Word. And finally, is there anybody here who has listened to all this and is saying, I don't think I'm even a Christian. I don't think I've even gotten to first base in seeing the glory that you're talking about. Christ to me is just another person. I don't love him. I don't trust him. He doesn't make much difference in my life. I haven't committed myself to him. I don't rely upon him. And I need help. Well, we would love here at the end of the service to pray with you about that and to help you find Jesus. So I'll be here. Elders will be here. And uh, as we close, you sure can come and we'll do business together. So let's stand for closing benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.